Welcome to the OA Light and Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and they do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michelle R. Good evening, everyone. I'm Michelle. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you, David, for inviting me to speak. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit of a surprise. I didn't know I was doing this until just a little bit ago. So um, there's been no chance to plan. So it's truly what God wants me to say tonight. And um, so welcome to our newcomer and congratulations to our chip taker. And um, for everyone here, um, this program works if you work it. And uh, I, I want to start off by telling you um, that I have a lot of gratitude for this program. It has changed my life in many ways. And, um, you know, uh, I guess experience, strength, and hope. Basically, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And so, you know, food was always um, a go-to for me. It was, uh, became more conscious of it as I got older, but... You know, I could sit down and, and eat a whole something, a whole cake, a whole bag of cookies, whatever. And um, that's, you know, it, it, I did that to uh, escape, to feel better, to just um, to check out, you know. And, um, and there are a lot of other compulsive behaviors that go along with that. Food is just one of a few things that I do to not be present. But now through, you know, and I'll jump to what it's like, is that now in this program as a result of working the steps and coming to meetings and being of service and having a sponsor and being a sponsor, um, I can be more present. That's, that's one of the, the biggest gifts is that I'm willing to stay and not check out all the time. Um, what brought me to program originally, I guess I'll go back, it was 2011. I've been here for about... Um, It'll be six years this month that I've been abstinent, and um, I've been up and down the same 25 or 30 pounds for many years, but um, for about the last four of those six, I've been down the 25 or 30 pounds, and that's the longest time that it's, I've been able, and not I, that my higher power has um, seen fit to have me be willing to keep it off, to take the actions to do what's necessary for it to remain stable. And... Um, Kind of what's happened around that was, you know, I, I first came to OA in 2009, and um, I didn't stick around. I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. I just came to meetings. and But life hadn't come, become unmanageable enough. But then in 2011, it did become unmanageable enough. And um, the way my higher power got my attention and the way it frequently would get my attention is through my work. Through I, I, would, I used to be very identified with who I was professionally, that was it was my way of feeling anything like self-esteem. I thought, okay, if I if I do this, then I will get respect in the world. And I found out the hard way that that's not true. That um, it doesn't matter what degree you have or what school you went to or where you've done whatever you've done. I was I had a spiritual malady. I was spiritually unfit, and those things didn't fix me. And I thought they would. I thought. For a long time, that's what drove me. It was like, okay, i got to get to the next thing. i got to do this. But it, it, it didn't fix me. So in 2011, 
Um, my higher power got my attention by having an unpleasant thing happen at work where um, of my two contracts that I had, one of them was non-renewed, and that's a fancy way to say I got fired. And um, <laughs> so I was left with basically one day a week of work in this place, and um, that was that really got my attention. I was in so much pain and so much shame, so I, I kind of sulked around the house for a couple weeks, and at the time, um, you know, I said to my partner, I said, you know, I think I need to go back and go do, do a 12-step program. She's like, yeah, I think you do. <laughs> and um, and OA was the one because I had the fear then that um, I could get bigger than I ever have been in my life because of the way I felt. The food could have gotten so huge. And, it, you know, and it, it was already dangerous. It was already like all the good habits went out the window because things were going south at work. So, you know, I used to bring my lunch and then I stopped doing that. And then suddenly things started creeping into the lunch like sweet rolls and you know, and then not to mention my candy habit that went on all day long, nonstop. And that was what I used to kind of stay, like, you know, sane at work. And, and I was, I actually was completely aware of doing that. And I used to think to myself, well, you know, you really can't go on too long doing this. Like one of these days you're going to find out you're diabetic or something's going to happen and you know what you're doing. But self-knowledge availed me nothing because I was completely powerless over the candy at work. I was just Nonstop. If you would have seen how much candy I eat, you wouldn't, you know, I would eat my candy, other people's candy. I would have to replace people's candy because I ate so much of it. And it was sort of embarrassing, but, you know, that's what I did. And so um, I came back to the program in 2011, and um, it was July 15th, actually, and it was 10 days later that I got a sponsor and got abstinent. And um, it was different coming back then at that time because... I felt like I was struck mute, you know, I um, I couldn't, I didn't want to share, my sponsor would tell me to share, and I was like, oh, what do I say? She told me to make two outreach calls a day, and I was like, it, it was as if I had never picked up a phone in my life, you know, it felt very unnatural to do that, it was the most uncomfortable thing, she told me, go to five meetings a week, and I was like, well, okay, you know, I'll do it, but um, that was uncomfortable too, a lot of things were very uncomfortable, and um, but, you know, I have to tell you that, again, a fast forward is that by doing all those things, the result was learning how to be connected to people in a better way than I've ever had in my life. That was what was lacking for me. I still, it is not my strong suit to connect. So I have to keep coming back. That's, that's how this program works for me, that the repeated action of coming to meetings, seeing the same people, being of service, Getting up here and speaking when I'm asked to speak, um, sponsoring people, you know, doing these simple acts, those are the things that connect me to people. It's those actions. And, um, you know, I don't know why that works. It just does. And, I mean, I hear people say that all the time. I don't know why it works. And I don't know why it works. It doesn't matter why. It's just that by doing those things, I call it people school. It's learned, I've learned how to be a better person and to connect better with people. And that's the gift of this program because it's the lack of connection and the feeling alone and the feeling different, terminally unique. Those are a lot of the drivers that make me want to eat. Um, it's, it's relationships. I mean, that's, that's pure and simple. It comes down to, I don't know how to connect. I feel less than, I'm not good enough. You don't like me. I'm always worried about what you're thinking about me. So I have to eat something to feel better. And I st then I feel worse because I'm fat, you know. And, um, and you know, so another thing that 
that's come from this program is um, it's increments of willingness. That's how it went for me. That, um, you know, abstinence was, okay, I was technically abstinent. Like my sponsor told me you have three meals and two optional snacks. So I started doing that. And you know what? That actually was, it was a win because when I came in here, I mean, let's face it, like for those of you on the podcast who can't see me, like I think I'm 29, but I'm really not. I'm really <laughs> 57, okay? And, um, you know, and so I'm middle-aged, and I thought, I may, I don't, I may not lose any more weight. And I was, I was up in my weight. I thought, I, I have to learn to be okay with not losing weight again. And I have to be okay with um, how I look and all of that stuff. And it was a win that I stopped eating candy all day. That was good, you know? And that I didn't have to, like, like, but the thing that happened, though, was the meals and the snacks were kind of big. But I thought, all right, but it's still a win because I'm not eating candy all day long, so that's better. And um, and so what ended up happening is I kind of became okay with that. And it wasn't like fat serenity. It was more just like this is the first time that I'm not disgusted by myself, you know. Because, see, here's the thing is with diets all along, I've been on lots of diets, and they worked, and I lost weight. But I'd always gain it back because it was a diet and it was temporary. And I'd always start creeping in with the, the behaviors of like, oh, well, maybe I'll just have a little of this. Maybe I'll just have a little of that. I was never willing to sustain it for very long because it was just it was pure willpower. And that worked until it stopped working. The thing that would drive the next diet was always a feeling of extraordinary self-disgust. But I used to consider that a good thing. That was motivation for me. That was like, hey, I'm disgusted with myself, so now... It's time for a diet. And like, okay, now I can feel good again. It's like, all right, get the weight down, and it's it's good. And then that stopped working. And, and that's actually stopped working when somewhere along the way when things weren't so great in my work, where I got to the point where there used to be these different annual events that I would go to that I would have to wear, like, a nice dress to, and I'd have to, like, squeeze back into a dress, you know. And so finally it got to the point where I can't do the crash diet anymore to lose the weight to get to that, you know, so I had to buy a bigger size, and um, that was pretty disappointing. But it was kind of like, all right. At that time, it it was the self-disgust. It, it was like to a point where I, I couldn't even be motivated to lose the weight because of the self-disgust. It was kind of just like a you know constant thing. So it, back to program, the fact that I was at least having three meals with two optional snacks, and my weight was semi-stable. I mean, it, it still was like I didn't lose any, you know, but it was stable. So I thought, that's a win. But two years in, again, it took me some time. Uh, you know, for, for anybody who's listening to this or anybody in this room who's frustrated by not losing weight in the time frame they think it should happen, you know, it took it was God's time. It wasn't my time. And what, what the couple of events that ended up happening in that sort of led to me having greater willingness to change what I did was one thing was my cat um, of almost 17 years, she got sick and she, it was time for her to go. And, and, when it was, and when it was that time, I was able to handle that with grace and with love. And um, it was something my sponsor helped me with a lot. And... Um, and I remember feeling that that was um, actually a beautiful, beautiful event and that I couldn't dishonor her memory by eating over it. 
So that was one thing. So it's like, I'm not going to eat over the cat. I'm going to like behave in a recovered way. And then also at around the same time, I had this injury to my elbow and I ended up going to physical therapy. And I discovered from that that it was sort of like a fancy strength training that I thought if I don't continue doing this, the pain's just going to continue and I'm going to like have more problems. And I realized that if I'm going to, um, so I became willing to like look into doing more exercise in a, in a regular, in a, like a serious way. So I thought if I'm going to do that, I really got to put the food down because otherwise it's like wasted effort, wasted energy, you know. And so at that time, it was literally about four years ago, a little over four years ago, that um, like this new willingness came over me and then the weight actually came off. And that was something I didn't think would happen again. I thought, no, I'm, I'm never going to lose weight again. But then I did. And, um, and it's been off for the most part, you know, within a range of maybe, you know, three or five pounds here or there. I mean, and I consider that to be like a normal fluctuation, you know. And so for me, what food looks like now, it's three meals and two optional snacks. And I don't always have both snacks. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And I let it be dictated by what the day looks like, okay? So that means that I'm acting as if I'm not a normal eater, but I'm trying to act as if I'm a normal eater. And normal eaters, you know, they look at what their day is, like how much exercise they've done, or maybe what time they get up, or what events are going on in their day. Like maybe they have a longer stretch where they won't be able to eat, so maybe you plan. So that's what I've learned is to plan to have certain foods with me, um, to be prepared so that I'm not caught hungry in a place where there's only bad choices to be made, you know, because if that's the case, at this point, if I make the bad choice, I'm going to hate myself. I'm going to hate myself really horribly, you know, and it's so easy for me to go to self-hatred that I don't want to do that in regard to food. So I try to make better choices. Now, having said that, you know, I just was on a trip for like two and a half weeks where um, I had very little control over the food in the sense that, like at home, you know, I can have all my little, like, compulsive ways about, like, what I do with food and what I have in the refrigerator and where I go out and what restaurants I will and won't eat at and all that sort of thing. But you know what? I had to try to act as if I'm a normal eater on vacation because there was really very little choice about a lot of things, you know? I mean, you're out, and so so what I ended up doing, what things look different for me when I'm away... Um, is there's generally no snacks and more like three meals, okay? So the, the meals get bigger, and I'm going to be honest about that. But um, they're not anything what they used to look like before program. And so I can c honestly come back and say to you, okay, I'm back from my trip. It's been about a week, and my weight is stable, okay? Maybe a couple pounds up, maybe, you know? But it's to be expected. And um, now... There's some people who might disagree with every word I'm saying, you know, and that's okay. You know, you got to work your program however it works for you. That's the thing about this. That's, that's the beauty. For the newcomer, take what you like and leave the rest. Mine is not the only way. There are a thousand right ways to do things, you know, and it's, it ends up being what's right for you and how, how it works for you on a daily basis, you know, because it's one day at a time. That's all we've got. And it's often, well, it's one snack and one meal at a time. And emotionally, it's one minute at a time sometimes because that's, again, that's what's driving it is, um, you know, I could sit and stand up here and talk for 30 minutes about food and like, yeah, that's helpful. But, you know, again, what drives all of that is the willingness to feel feelings and face life on life's terms. 
because that's my problem is I don't like life on life's terms. I don't like feeling feelings. Um, it's too painful, you know. I've had a lot of painful things happen in my life that um, it's easier to block them out, you know. And so I found out, like, if I stuff them down with food or anything else, they're going to find their way out. It's kind of like an abscess, you know. Um, you hope that the abscess does find its way out instead of its way in because that's when you end up in big trouble needing, like, IV antibiotics, you know. So it's better to let the stuff out in a healthier way. Now, the other thing that I'm learning in program is that it's not okay to do a big venting, vomiting on people, you know. That's not a way to let go of emotions either, you know, because it's not okay to, like, let them build up to the point where you're a volcano and you're going to erupt steaming lava on everybody and every innocent bystander, you know. And that's something that I've been guilty of, you know, and um, I don't want to do that anymore. So it's sort of like it's learning how to manage your emotions in a way that's, like, consistent with what, what a recovered person would do. So for me, that looks like a lot of times now pausing. That's one of the biggest things I've learned in program is um, restraint of pen and tongue. You know, and you hear people talk about that. I heard people say that from day one in program. People would say restraint of pen and tongue. And I thought, oh, you know, that, that was something that I didn't do. One of the things that went wrong for me at work was um, I would hit send way before I should. You know? <laughs> and some strongly worded emails got sent out. And it's no wonder that I didn't get along with certain people. It's like... Hello, you know, so I also want to tell you that, like, fast forward, the upshot of working this program and working the steps is that, you know, I'm still at my place of employment. Now I'm there two days a week. And um, some of the people that, like, I actively hated there and who actively hated me, we don't hate each other anymore. We actually like each other. And we can actually have a conversation and laugh and talk, and it's all okay. And there's been a lot of healing, you know. And, um, like, I can go there now, and I don't dread it. I don't have stress over it. Um, it's not that I don't have I have stress over a lot of things, but um, it's somehow been shifted away from that. So I, I don't even talk about it that much anymore, except for, like, you know, I mean, I still am restless, irritable, and discontent, and I can brew up a new resentment like that, you know, and it's real easy, you know. But, um, again, back to the pause. So I'm pausing. I'm learning how to keep my mouth shut when it's better, you know, to do that and to think more and to run it past other people and to learn um, when is it appropriate to speak and when not to speak, when is it appropriate to vent my opinion on the innocent bystanders and when isn't it. Because sometimes, you know, it's a fine line. When do you stand up for yourself? When do you speak up? When do you, you know... It's all a balancing act, you know, and that, that's what program has been. It's been learning balance for me um, because I'm a person of extremes. I think a lot of us are. That's what we come in here with. It's just that we all have different extremes, you know, and um, my extremes may be different than yours. And sometimes people look at me and they don't think that I'm a person of extremes. I'm like I can fool people, you know, but I am a person of great extreme, great extreme of emotion and, um, you know, of behavior, and I – have a history of great rage, you know, I can, I'm a big rager, and that's been much better, you know, since program. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that this program has helped me do, and 
eating compulsively, to have that be um, sort of maintained one day at a time for, you know, for this much time, that's only one of the gifts. Really, it's, it's what underlies that, that um, is getting healed by working these steps and, and continuing to do it. And, you know, and I have to tell you um, that some days I don't think I can carry on. Like I, I, like, I wake up in the morning so, like, in pain and, like, oh, my God. Like, and that's just, but that's part of the, that's the disease talking. So I have to get up and take contrary action. And in this program, for me, a lot of, there's a lot of contrary action. It's showing up and, you know, not that I ever don't want to go to meetings, but it's, um, feeling so, like, I can go to despair real easily, you know, and that's that's something that um, sometimes all I can do is just sit in the meeting and just be there, and then I have to just wait for the despair to pass, and this too shall pass. So anybody who's here, like, you know, and, and again on the podcast, if you're in despair and you're hurting, like, when you're in it, when you're triggered by something, it always seems like it's never going to end, you know, like, for me, it seems like I'm never going to feel better, I'm never going to... This is never going to go away. And then I do feel better somehow, miraculously, you know. And um, so that's a gift. And so right now I'm in a pretty sane moment, especially since I'm here speaking and being a service. So I have to, you know, I have to like step up and and I can actually feel the, the truth of some of the things that I'm, of all the things that I'm saying to you. It's just that I'm going to be honest and say that when I'm in a triggered state, it doesn't feel this way, and that's when I have to rely on faith and continue working my program ever, ever harder. Because that's that's the test of faith is when you're in pain, not when things are going right. And um, so, you know, again, it boils down to two things that I keep getting taught over and over again in here, and that's gratitude and service. Be grateful for what you have, for what I have, because when I really sit down and look at what I have, it's a lot. I really have no problems, you know. I can create problems, and I can be worried about things, and I can um, find reasons to be toiling and um, futurizing, and what if this happens, and what if this ha- that happens, and, you know, and I can get myself to worked up to a point where I don't want to leave the house. But you know what? When I really look at, like, objectively my life, I don't have problems right now. I mean, they're very minimal. You know, I have to I have to be truly in gratitude for everything that's that I have, and when I'm in that state, then things go better. And service, you know, like I used to think, like, what does service look like? Like, it always felt sort of like, like I'm a person that doesn't like obligation. You know, I think um, doing anything out of obligation really is detrimental. You know, and but again, there's a balance. There's a fine line. Service doesn't have to be obligation. It can come from the heart in a meaningful way, and it could be something as simple as setting up chairs. That's service, you know? Signing up for Lifeline, it's service, you know? Saying hello to someone, that's service. It's, it has different definitions in every situation that you're in, and I have to remember that, that it's not just some, you know, slogging through something you don't want to do because you have to, you know? And that, that's kind of like the picture that I've always had in my mind of like what service means. But it's not that. It's service, it, it, again, it can be very simple. Coming from the heart, like a heartfelt handshake or hug to someone, 
that service. Because, you know, I can tell you that when, when I um, first came to program and I was in my shameful pain state where I felt invisible in the room and didn't want to be seen and um, it was awful. You know, I, I like it took me a while to learn all like the way of meetings and, and all the sort of um, rituals that we have and how like the, the job of the greeter is to say hello and give you a hug and all that. And, but I didn't understand that. I didn't know what that meant. So I remember one time when I came in, like Hill Street, where that was, you know, kind of my original home meetings. And I consider this light a candle a home meeting as well. But I remember walking into Hill Street and the greeter there is a woman who, um, she's, she comes regularly, an older woman, and um, she gave me a hug. And, I, and she was just being like, you know, doing her greeter thing. But for me, I wanted to cry because it was like, somebody gave me a hug like like it was it felt so like warm and um like I wasn't wasn't used to people being nice you know I was used to people not being nice like at work they weren't that nice but um and I'm not that nice that's the thing it's like I can be all... <laughs> like, like that that's that's the irony of the whole thing is that um I want people to be nice but I'm really not that nice but <laughs> I'm learning in program how to be nicer um because it doesn't, you know, it. I can I can be nice if I like people, but I, you know, but the thing is that learning the um, the rituals of meetings and the uh, like service of simply standing there and giving someone a hug, you don't know what you're doing for that person. Like for me, in my despair, that hug made me feel better that day. You know, so I always remember that. And you know, it was funny that like I've done a, like you know in those meetings, like every service commitment there is. But greeter was like one of the last ones that I chose to do because I was scared of it, you know. And um, but when I finally did greeter, it was it was actually one of the most like sort of loving, satisfying service positions there is because you get to say hi to everybody and you get to learn how to do that, and that's how you get to see everyone and know everyone and feel a part of. Like being of service helps you feel a part of, you know. So that's. That's the connection. That's the whole thing. And so, um, you know, I, I also heard people say early on that if you do nothing else today, if you go to a meeting, then your day is good. Like, you did enough. You don't have to do anything else. And so it validates the day. So I know any day that I go to a meeting is a good day. So it doesn't, like, I don't have to prove myself being productive in some other way, although it would be nice to accomplish something. It would be nice to not, you know, to feel like I've, I've been able to do something else. But going to meetings and, and being here has been really, it, it's very healing. Again, I guess it's, it's all about um, willingness, willingness to, uh, to do things differently, to see things differently, to take different actions, and uh, to work the steps. Well, oh, and I'm looking at the 12 steps right here that are on the wall, and I'm, I'm thinking that, I, clearly, there's some other things to talk about. And prayer and meditation, I almost didn't mention. Those are two things that I did not really do before program. Now, I get on my knees and pray every morning. And I often do that throughout the day. And we just did that before this meeting, before I got up here and spoke. <clears throat> and meditation is something that I really learned through this program. I used to try to do it before and I'd always end up falling asleep or something. But now um, I've had more success with having feeling that connection to a higher power by meditation and feeling that peace. And it's more just, it's like a peaceful, it's a way to, um, to connect. And, and I, it doesn't work all the time. Like I'll sit down and try to do it, and sometimes my head is so busy that I can't, 
you know, I can't, it, but it's the action of attempting it. So there's no wrong way to do it. It's just, it's the practice, it's the letting the head be busy, it's the the willingness to just breathe and stay with it and, and know that, like, I'm not all there is. I'm not, I'm not it. There's a higher power there. Whatever, however you define that. You know, spiritual awakening is, um, I think that comes in many ways. I've, I feel like I've had all different kinds of spiritual experiences in this program. Some that are like kind of be, that place between sleep and wakefulness where I felt it like is a, like a sort of a massive letting go, a massive um, like influx of love, like a heart opening. And and like when that's happening, and I, I just like, how do I keep this? How do how do how does this stay? How do I continue it? But it can't. It's a moment of grace, you know. And um, I think that's the thing is like this too shall pass. The the bad feelings pass, but also the good feelings those pass too. And like that's the that's the reminder is just is to be willing to be okay with the flow of emotions and not be stuck in any one place. You know, I think I'm going to wrap up and, and leave it open for questions. So thanks for letting me share. Okay, the question is, do I ever have the cravings to go to the candy at work, and what tools do I use, and or cravings in general? And yes, I do have cravings. I am. I can't say that I'm one of those people where the light switches off and I never think about food. No, it, I have to take contrary action around it. And um, that's the one thing. Like, like my abstinence is um, not. Uh, it like I don't. There's not really foods that I've cut out. But one of the things is no candy at work. That's one thing I've done. And so. I'm tempted by, or, or it's it's off. It, it's always in my view at work, like this, because a lot of people have candy around there, and it's sort of an irony of considering where I work. But um, <laughs> there's um, people have candy all the time, and like sometimes I'll have certain other things, but the candy I don't touch because it was such a trigger before, and it, it's so dangerous, you know. So um, even though I'm looking at it, and sometimes oh, it's like, but I just. I just don't, you know, it's just, it's just hardwired in. And I'll have to say like about other things, the road has narrowed that even though I, they're not on my abstinence list, even though there's things that I don't say that like, oh, you can't have this or, you know, I'm like, I know this or know that the road has narrowed enough that I just don't choose those things most of the time, you know, and, um, it's not never, but I just like, they, I just don't. And so as far as tools, sometimes, like, one big tool for me is to text someone and say I'm done eating. That thing works because, like, when I'm done with a meal, I still want to eat more, you know? Like, like it's like, oh, like, I'm afraid of being hungry. That's kind of always been the thing. So I want to make sure that I eat enough so that I'm not hungry till the next feeding time, you know? And so if I, if I eat enough, and so if I plan out, like, see, that's the thing. It's fair game. Like, if I... I get to eat what's on the plate, but I have to plan ahead kind of what goes on it because it's going to it's going to get eaten, you know. So if if afterwards if afterwards it's you know I want more, then that usually the thing I'll do is to text someone and say I'm done eating now, because then my word has to mean something, and um, if I lie and you know then then I'll like like my word has to mean something. So that I hope that answers your question. So thanks. Did you always, like, have you always believed in a higher power, or can you talk about 
Mm. Well, I mean, actually, my whole life I didn't. I was actually not a believer. But then in my adult life before program, I became spiritual. And um, not religious, but spiritual. And it came more through, like, different books, reading books and different things. And then, so I had that when I came into program. I had that sort of basic, basic sense of a spirituality and a higher power. But it's been more... Um, uh, emphasized in, like, I've, it's kind of like, you know, you hear people say what you focus on gets bigger, and if you focus on God, gets God gets bigger. So it's more like, for me, because this program is all about focusing on spirituality, it's gotten bigger. I mean, by default, it has, even though my head is super busy and, like, I'm crazy and all that stuff, I still, it still has gotten bigger by focusing on it. And I think one thing that's shifted for me is that, um, like, I didn't used to believe that God was in the details. But one thing, like like reading in the big book when it talks about God is everything or God is nothing, um, like, that resonates for me because if I believe that God is nothing, then nothing has meaning, you know, and then that sends me into despair. So I have to believe that God is everything and God is in the details. So if God is in the details, then that means God can... God can, has the breadth and depth and enormity to pay attention to my food and my life and my obsessions of all sorts, and that God can provide healing of all those obsessions um, regardless. So does that make sense? Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't know if I repeated the question, but um, it was uh, can I talk about my higher power and how that developed? Okay, so the question is what tools did I use to help manage highs and lows and not go to food? You know, I, like earlier on in the first couple of years, I mean, again, my meals and snacks were kind of bigger, so it was just like, you know, in between, um, I'd kind of white knuckle, you know. And I still, there's still sometimes that, but it's far less. And so now the tools I use is like, I, I really am conscious, I write a lot, you know. Like that's a big tool for me. Um, like I, I pick up my notebook and I just write, Dear God, and I that's where is the place where it's appropriate to spew forth Every detail of every, um, you know, kind of uh, neurosis that sometimes can't be spoken to another person and um, every shameful, like, truthful thing. So um, someday I'll burn all those, you know. But um, that's where I can let it out. And then, like, what I also do is I'll write God's answer back to me. And... um, it's, it's amazing how those answers, like when I'm writing them, it's like, oh, this, this really seems ridiculous, like, you know, it's BS. But um, it's amazing how in God's time, sometimes I'll go back and I'll read those answers again, and then they come true, like they're real, it's true. And so I, I start believing them that it's like, because God tells me a lot to listen to my heart. That's what God says, you know, like listen to your heart, your heart knows, your head provides lots of arguments for things and it fights and it struggles, but your heart knows the truth. And it doesn't mean that um, just by knowing, like even if you acknowledge it, it doesn't mean that things are going to like look outwardly exactly how you want them to look, but the heart truth is really like where God resides and where the love is and where like that's the, that's the spirit, it's in here, you know, and that's the thing that I have to remember to turn to and that's, that's what comes up in the writing. So I guess it's a long-winded, circuitous answer to what you've asked, but um, writing is a big tool. 
and talking to people appropriately. But, you know, again, for me, my unwillingness to feel feelings all along, like right now, sometimes what I have to do is feel the feelings first before I can talk to people because that's, that's the test. If I try to talk to somebody first, I don't even know what I'm going to say because the feelings, like sometimes the feelings are so pure and so big that like, like I, like exercise has been a big thing, you know, sometimes I'll get on my bike and ride and like sometimes the, um, you know, the, uh, pure feeling will come out that way. And then like the, the tools, the more traditional tools can be used, you know, like outreach. I hope that helps. Yeah. Okay, the question is, did I ever want to leave program when I wasn't getting results or, you know, when I was feeling um, disenchanted somehow? Well, the answer is no. I, like, for me, program was the last house on the block because I know that food is only a symptom. It's only an, one, of the out, one of the outward um, behaviors. I know, that, I know that my problems run far deeper than food. And so I know that I need people school. And so, like... <laughs> That's why I stay, because it's, it's less about food, really, than it is about my inability to connect to other people. So that's why I go to program, because um, it, it, um, that's, that's the, like the crux, you know. And um, the fact that I get, I get to be abstinent, that's a, a, like a, almost a fortunate byproduct of learning how to be with you, you know, because I, I don't know how to do that otherwise. So, so I, you know what, so my answer is no, I never, after 2000, like once I came back in 2011, like 2009, yeah, 2009 I left, but 2011, I have not thought about leaving since because um, I have nowhere else to go, <laughs> truthfully. You know, this is it, and um, this is home for me, you know. Um, I, you know, I didn't talk hardly anything at all about family of origin, and I'll tell you, I, I have a very small family of origin at this point, and I don't really have a lot to do with people in my family. So it's, for me, you know, program is more family, if, if, however you define that. And, um, uh, you know, so I feel like a lot of the strongest connections that I have with people are people here, you know, in program. So that, that's the truth for me. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, it's time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Thank thanks you. for letting me share.